Hi, I'm Steve Scott, and welcome to Knowing Him. In our last podcast, we began looking at the 21 promises that Jesus makes to you and to me regarding his words. He makes these incredible, uh, what I would call conditional promises, where he said, if if you abide in my word, or if you do this or that, then he tells us the blessing or the benefit that's going to come from that. And uh, it really is amazing. And we covered nine of those 21 yesterday. Uh, we'll see how many we can cover right now. We're probably going to go a little faster because, believe it or not, I'm supposed to be on a, a Zoom call in 30 minutes. So I'm not going to take much longer than 30 for sure. <clears throat> anyway, uh, the one we're going to look at right now is out of John chapter 15. John chapter 15, again, is the Uh, part of the Last Supper. And I call the Last Supper, which was John 13, 14, 15, and 16, as the end-of-game huddle. In the end-of-game huddle, Jesus is telling his disciples some of the most important instructions that he's ever given them. He's going to tell them how to get by how to have victory, how to triumph over all the forces against them uh, once he leaves. For three years, three and a half years, they have depended on Christ for just about everything, uh, for their security, financially, uh, answers to questions. He refereed their arguments and fights. Uh, He knew what was true about everything. In fact, in this last minute huddle or this end of game huddle in John 14, 6, he literally says something that no man in history had ever said. He claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, not a truth, not a life, but the. He claimed to be the embodiment of all truth. That's amazing. And now he has a lot of those truths that he has to share. And believe it or not, a lot of them are about his words and the role that they play and the power that they give to those who will uh, hear and do what Jesus says. So uh, here in John 15, he changes an analogy. He, He uses a brand new analogy that he's never used before. He said, I am the vine. My father is the uh, vine keeper. He's the one in charge of the vine. He's the one to take care of the vine. He said, I am the vine. My father is the, the vine keeper. And he said, you are the branches. Now, that's pretty cool because always before in other analogies, there was obviously a, a separation between Jesus and his followers, Jesus and his disciples, Uh, For example, uh, he says in John chapter 10, he uses the analogy of being the good shepherd. Well, sheep are not a part of the shepherd, okay? They're separate. They follow the shepherd. They want to hear the shepherd's voice. They want to follow the shepherd wherever he goes because they know wherever the shepherd goes, there's safety, there's food, 
There's instruction. There's protection. So sheep want to follow the shepherd, and as sheep, we want to follow Jesus Christ. The way we follow him according to Christ is we hear and do what he says. That's how sheep follow the shepherd. That's how we follow him. We hear his voice, his instructions, and by faith, empowered by grace, we do what the good shepherd tells us. Well, now he uses an analogy that even goes further. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. There's no separation between a vine and its branches. The branches are an outgrowth of the vine. Same DNA, uh, uh, all nourishment for the branches that allows them to grow and bear fruit comes from the vine. It is a connection that is as intimate as possible. We can't think of an analogy. Uh, I guess we could say, well, my arm is part of my, or my hand is part of my arm. My arm's part of the body, yes. Uh, and later, believe it or not, that, that illustration is used uh, by the Apostle Paul and the other apostles saying we're the body of Christ. But, but here he uses this one. So I want you to think of yourself being connected to Christ in a way that his desires, his will, what he wants, his power, his love, his mercy, his righteousness, his truth, all of that can flow from him to you and through you. And when it does, guess what happens? You bear fruit. You end up with outcomes and results that count for eternity, not just for this life. You know, I'm 73 years old, and I may have another day of life. My, my, everybody's afraid to ride with me. I'm not a good driver, and so another driver may take me out. Or God might continue to surround me with his guardian angels, and I might live into my 90s. But whatever I do, I want my life, honestly, to count for eternity. I want to lay up treasures in heaven where nothing can take them away. And uh, I want to bear eternal fruit. When we talk about bearing fruit, what kind of fruit are we talking about? Well, two kinds. One is we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit found in Galatians 5, and 23. So look that up. That's the kind of fruit that's going to be produced. The first one that is mentioned is love, agape love. That's a, self, a selfless love. That's a love that flows from God to us and through us. It's a love that we in our nature cannot produce. And yet the Holy Spirit, it is his nature to produce it. So thankfully, from the vine to the branches flows what? The Holy Spirit. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and to bear this fruit. And uh, so when you get a chance, when we're done, Go ahead and Google fruit of the spirit or look up Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and you'll see the kind of fruit that's going to be produced when we are rightly connected to the vine and nourished from the vine. Now, there's also the fruit of blessing people in certain ways, leading people to Christ, um, taking on the role of, of sharing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, whether whether we see people come to Christ or not, helping people to grow in Christ, discipling others, all of those are also bearing fruit. Uh, so it all can happen 
as we're connected to the vine. Well, now in John 15, 3 and 4, Jesus said, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Whoa. Jesus' words. Now, he's not talking about the Bible as a whole. Remember, these promises are about his words that he spoke to his disciples and others that are recorded in the Gospels. We also see his words recorded in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 in uh, his messages to the seven churches. Now, uh, listen to this again. He said, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Have you ever done anything wrong, stupid, sin? How, uh, I guess the right question is how many times a day, right? And then afterwards we think, God, where was Christ in all this? That's not how he would have acted. My gosh, he said, bless your enemies. Pray for those who abuse you. You know, uh, and here I'm ready to go to combat with somebody just because they cut me off. Um, where does that come from? Well, it doesn't come from Christ. So, you know, Paul said, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So, yes, <clears throat> that kind of angry reaction is sin. And um, look what Jesus said. You are clean, already clean because of my words. Jesus' words are actually a bar of soap for our soul, our mind, our heart, our spirit, so that when we pick up the daily grime of, of sins of commission or sins of omission, you know, uh, we see somebody that has a need, we think, oh man, I ought to really minister that need. Then we look at our watch, oh, but I really need to get home because I'm going to do this. And we leave that person, we think, Steve, what, I think, Steve, what were you thinking? That person really needed you in the moment, and you walked right by him. That's what we would call a sin of omission. The Holy Spirit prompted me maybe to stop and, and be something, and I chose to ignore him. Uh, guess what? Here comes the bar of soap. Jesus' words cleanse us not from the eternal condemnation of our sin, that happened at the cross. That's the power of the atonement. But from those little dirt stains that we get throughout our day, his words will clean us. <clears throat> there are times where I've done something so terrible that I had to pray. Gary Smalley taught me to do this. I prayed line by line, Psalm 51. If ever you are just overwhelmed with guilt, with pain, with remorse for something you did that you know to be wrong and you just can't shake it. Open up to Psalm 51 and one line at a time, read it and pray it. You'll be amazed. I have probably done that since Gary taught me that lesson. I've probably done it I would think at least two or 300 times in my life. And every time it blesses me, every time it lets me see God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, uh, but I own up to, to my own failings and sin. Well, Jesus' words have an even deeper effect because remember, his words are spirit and life. So his words go clear into our spirit they bring his spirit and life into our spirit and into our life. And 
they have tremendous cleansing power. We hear his words. Uh, you know, when I feel like I need to be forgiven, you know what words the Holy Spirit brings to my mind? Uh, forgive us this day. Forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins and trespasses of others. And I'm reminded that Jesus said we're to forgive people, you know, up to 490 times in the same day for the same sin. Holy mackerel, that's unlimited forgiveness. But you know why he tells us that? Because that's God's spirit toward us, that God can forgive us. And the Holy Spirit, as I get into the words of Christ, he uses those words from the Lord's Prayer and from the parables to tell me, hey, you think you can forgive. You ought to see what me and my Father can do. We can forgive that instantly. In fact, there's a verse in the Old Testament, in Psalms, I will remember thy No, maybe it's not in Psalms. I'd have to look it up. I will remember thy sins no more. Wow. God not only forgives, he can choose to forget what we've done. So read his Jesus' words, meditate on them, and they will take on that role of cleansing your mind, your heart, your spirit from that dirt that comes on today. Don't wait a week because the grime will just build up. So, um, and this doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. That happens at the cross and your faith at the cross and being born again, being born of the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But there is conviction of sin, and when we are convicted, uh, repent, tell the Lord how you feel about it, ask him for more grace, more faith, and then read his words and watch, watch the bar of soap take its action. Okay, John 15, 7, same, same time, it's the Last Supper. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask anything you want, and it will be done unto you, for the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. We're back to fruit bearing. That's God's desire. He wants you to share in his glory in heaven. And there's great glory in bearing fruit. And he want, he's a, a, a generous God, so he, want, he doesn't want to hold all the glory to himself, even though he deserves all the glory. He wants to share it with us. And guess what's going to be at the center? He's going to be at the center Jesus is going to be at the center, and the fruit we bear on earth is going to bring glory to him, and it brings glory to us, so we share in his glory. Well, here he says, if we abide in Jesus' words, and we've already talked about what that means. That means to dwell within. That means you meditate on his words, and then as the Holy Spirit shows you, reminds you of his words um, as you go through your day, we continue to dwell in the boundaries or the guidelines that his words give. So if, if his words tell me to love my enemies and somebody cuts me off and my initial reaction is, how dare you? You know, this is my road. This is my lane. Stay out of my lane. Uh, do you know how many times I got flipped off? I used to get flipped off every day because I didn't have these little things that warn me when I'm in, when somebody else is in my blind spot. Now I've got that on my car, so now I only get flipped off, 
flipped off maybe once every six months, but it used to be almost daily. Well, not quite. That's an exaggeration, at least weekly, though. Okay, so uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done unto you. That is an incredible promise on prayer. That's saying he's going to answer our prayers in the affirmative. What is the condition? I abide in him and he abides in me. What does that mean, I abide in him? Well, he tells us that in John chapter 6, he actually uses that grotesque analogy that people think, what the heck, this guy's insane, but he wasn't insane. He later explained the analogy where he said, if you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will be abiding in me. So I abide in in Jesus by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. What does that mean? He goes on to explain that in John 6, 63. He says the flesh, or I'm sorry, the spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. I'm not talking about my real flesh. I'm not talking about my real blood. Well, what are you talking about, Lord? Here he goes. My words are spirit and life. So there he's telling us in John 6, we're to eat his words. We consume them. What happens when you eat food? You swallow it, it goes into your stomach, the digestion process begins, and it metabolizes into who you are. It becomes, that food becomes, is metabolized, and it becomes part of your physical body, okay? Same thing with Jesus' words. When we eat, his words, we consume them, then they metabolize and they become part of who we are spiritually, in our heart, in our spirit, in our soul. That incredible metabolism takes place. So we abide in Jesus by consuming his words. They're metabolized in us. And he said, and my words abide in you. He's talking about the same thing that happened. We consume his words. His words are now in us. Now they're metabolized and become part of who we are. And then we can pray for anything we want and it'll happen. You know why he says that? Because our wants and our will begin to conform to him and his will. We end up wanting what Jesus wants. And so the Father grants that, and guess what? That produces the eternal spiritual fruit. And Jesus said that glorifies the Father. So even here on earth, you and me, our rotten sinful selves, can bring glory to God the Father by what? By consuming Jesus' words, letting them metabolize in our spirit, and then our spirit becoming Christ-like. And guess what? Our desires change, our will changes, and it becomes harmonious and unified with his desires and his will. So God is happy to grant us what we want because now we want what God the Father wants and what Jesus wants. And out of that, fruit is produced 
God is glorified, and Jesus goes on to say, showing yourselves, some translations say, proving yourselves to be my disciples. Whoa, anybody can do that. A child can do that. A woman in a nursing home that's bedridden can consume Jesus' words. Even if she can't read anymore, she can put on an audio tape, okay? And she can listen to Jesus' words. They come into us, they metabolize in our spirit, we become more Christ-like. Our prayers become reflective of God's will and he grants those wishes or those desires to us. Now, you may say, well, maybe I want something and maybe it's not God's will. Is he still gonna give it to me if I abide in Jesus' words and his words abide in me? Uh, the answer is no, because you're not becoming Christ-like. You see, when you really abide in Christ's words, when you consume them and they're metabolized into your spirit, you will become Christ-like. It's not that you're going to be perfect, but you're going to find yourselves wanting the very things that Jesus wants. You know, I had a chance of sharing with a young atheist a few months ago, 17 years old. I didn't want to. He was at, I was at a lunch counter. My wife was home uh, from a surgery. I was getting food from her. I'm hearing this 17-year-old atheist uh, say all these things, and I'm things I used to say when I was a 16-year-old atheist. And I think, oh, Father, I don't want to do this right now. I don't. I want to just get the food and go home to Shannon. And uh, guess what happens? I couldn't take it any longer. I had to go talk to him. And I went over and shared my heart with him and the 50-some-year-old guy he was talking to. We talked for 20 minutes. At the end of the conversation, he says, can I have your phone number? Yes. Do you know he and I had two more uh, two-hour meetings, and at the end of the second one, I said, do you have any other uh, questions, anything? He said, yeah, the big one, the important one. I said, what's that, Andrew? He said, how can Jesus be my best friend like he's your best friend? How can he come into my life and be my best friend? Oh, my goodness. All because I listened to the whispers of Christ. And instead of doing what I wanted, I did what he wanted. But guess what? Once I started doing what Jesus wanted and talking to Andrew that first time, I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to open his eyes to the incredible Savior that's been my best friend now for 58 years. I wanted him to experience all the joy and peace and forgiveness and love and mercy and grace and patience of God. And guess what? He's my brother now. When I'm in town, we try to get together at least once a week. Oh, I love it. You know what he's already done? He, last meeting, I said, well, how's, how's it going? He says, good. He said, I finished two books. I said, what two books? He said, mere Christianity. Oh, my goodness, that's a good one. That's, that's what brought me to Christ. And the New Testament. Uh, 
yeah, that's a book, and you finished it? He said, yeah. He says, I kind of, I don't understand Revelation. I said, don't go there yet. That's not for right now, for you. But let's focus on the Gospels of Christ right now, and that's what we're doing. But can you believe that? God is really creating a disciple in this sweet 17-year-old. And you can pray for him anytime you think about it. His name is Andrew. That's funny. That was Peter's brother's name. Okay, so that's all we're going to cover tonight. That's a big one. Go ahead and meditate in it. John 15, verses 3 and 4 and 7 and 8. Just two of the 12 more promises we have. So now we only have 10 more promises about Jesus' words. And we'll get into those in our next episode. I'm excited. I hope you're getting excited about the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, we could spend eight hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of our lives and never get tired of getting to know Jesus Christ through his life and his words as they appear in the Gospels. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for my listener right now. I pray that you would meet their needs. Lord, I pray that you would continue to open their eyes, the eyes of their spirit, the eyes of their mind, to the Lord Jesus, that they would become infected with his words, that they would consume his flesh and drink his blood by, by consuming his words, that they would metabolize in their spirit and become the person they are. Father, we thank you for sending your dear son. We thank you that he wasn't silent, but that he gave us his words that are really your words, that we might become more like him and bring glory to you. I pray all of this for my friend that's listening right now. I pray it for you, friend. In Jesus' name, amen. <music>